Hey, podcast listeners. Before we begin, we wanted to say a huge thank you. Thank you for supporting the Living Centered Podcast. It has been our joy to journey alongside you through the topics and conversations that affect us all. We can't thank you enough for listening in over the last few months. Today, it's time for us to listen to you. We're always looking for ways to serve you better. So we put together a brief podcast survey that will help us know where you are on your emotional wellness journey, friends you might want to learn from, and topics that you care about. We would love it if you would take a few minutes to share your thoughts. And as a thank you for your time, you'll be entered for a chance to win a $200 gift card to the Onsite Mercantile, Onsite's store of curated emotional wellness resources. Head on over to onsiteworkshops.com slash LCP survey to share your thoughts. Thanks so much in advance. We are so grateful for all of you. There's something about childhood that I just really believe is vital as a time in life in which you develop and grow. It's also a key time for us to remember. It brings people to a lighter place of being, a true place of being, and I, I think that a more childlike world would be a, a brighter world, not a childish world. That'd be scary. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. Today's guest is responsible for curating one of our favorite corners of the internet. From Kid President to the 2020 dumpster fire animation that swept all our news feeds last year, author and illustrator Brad Montague is on a mission to cultivate empathy and imagination in kids and former kids alike. Through his work, Brad aims to joyfully rebel against the way things are and instead attempt to create the world as it should be. Throughout the episode, Brad shares with Lindsay and Miles his passion for storytelling, creativity, and the ways kids can teach us all to be better grown-ups. Welcome our friend, Brad. All right, my friend Brad, here today on the Living Centered Podcast. Good to see you, my friend. It is good to be here. Very good. You just set the pace of a good-hearted guy who cares about the world in a big way, and you just put such creativity and goodness out there. So I've been excited to share a little bit more of you and your orbit and how you view the world with our audience. So again, uh, we're excited to have you here today, and thanks again for being here. This is the best. It feels like um, you invited me into your sandbox to play, and I'm, I'm all in. Well... Thank you. And, and, and speaking of play, I know you've spent your uh, a lifetime in and around kids, providing opportunities uh, for them, amplifying their voice, the creative outlets to speak into the grown up world, particularly with your last book, which is so awesome of how to be a better grown up. We'll talk more about that later. But I'm just I just kind of wanted to start there. You know, why do you ha- why do you have a heart uh, for kids and uh, why do you feel it's important for their vantage point or, or do you uh, to be echoed through the world in a time like now? There's something about childhood that I just really believe is vital uh, as a time in life in which you develop and grow. It's also a key time for us to remember 
and it, it allows us to be vulnerable. It allows us to be honest. And when you spend time with kids, no matter how frustrating it could be at times or how many drinks get spilled or what have you, um, it does reconnect you to the most essential things about being a person. I just love that you can have a conversation with somebody in which you feel like, I don't know this person. We're not connected. Oh, there I'm in a big fancy boardroom and I don't belong here. And then you start talking about, well, where did you grow up? Who was your favorite teacher? What was your favorite toy? What are these things? And then you find that there's all these, these, these um, human connections that, that we begin to have. And so it brings people to a lighter place of being, a true place of being. And I think that a more childlike world would be a, a brighter world, not a childish world. That'd be scary. Where, where did that first spark for you, Brad, the idea of sort of like when I watch your videos and follow you online and even your book, it's this idea of these kids sort of get down to this elemental essence that sort of we all can take a deep breath and agree with kind of how did that sort of spark for you of like oh this was an interesting way to sort of convey this message of hope and sort of that we all can come together yeah well I really um have been fascinated with stories like I love story and storytelling and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew somehow it would be tied to stories. So one of the first outlets was news. I worked in a newsroom um, oh. and I it was a local news station in West Tennessee and they gave me a camera. They taught me how to edit. I learned how to edit on reel to reel stuff, like turning your fingers in circles and doing the whole thing and, um, and then moving to digital. And in that form of storytelling, I had this moment where uh, they sent me out. They said, oh, there's been a car accident. And I went out and I got this amazing footage of a car accident that had happened. And I came back to the studio and I'm editing it and I'm just getting into the how am I going to tell the story and visually. And it hit me as I was doing it that I had spent my entire day crafting this story, building the story, filming it. And I never once spoke to the people about how it affected them, how they got there. Yeah. It was so removed from the humanity of the, of the moment. And, and I was telling the story of somebody's worst day and in no way was there hope packed into it. It was just here, this is the thing that happened. Just very cold. Like it was a slab of meat in a butcher shop. It was just, here's this. And it just hit me like, that's not the, surely there's better stories I could have told today. There's something better I could have done. And it's almost like turning um, uh, the dial on a radio and there's certain frequencies you could hear. And I was just on that one frequency of, okay, deliver story. Here's the thing that happened. And when I began tuning into the frequency of where kids' brains were at, where their hearts were at, it was like tuning into compassion and true humanity. Um, like there were a couple of girls who were in, in the small town in Alabama. And I found out that they had heard that there were kids in their community who didn't have enough food. So they started their own soup kitchen. Now these girls are in junior high and high school. And wow. <laughs> instead of hearing, Oh, this is so sad. They're like, well, let's do something. Let's make it happen. 
And so that was one of the first stories I said, I want to tell their story. I want to find a way to, to share this. And um, when I did, I just, I was hooked. I was like, this is, this is the frequency I want to tune into. These are the stories I want to share. And somehow, some way I want to be a part of cultivating more of this kind of goodness. I love that. Could you do that at the news station that you were at? Or did you have to sort of create your own separate sort of venue for storytelling that you could sort of tell a story you share with? Yeah, I mean, there are some people in those sorts of, of situations where they can um, use that culture as a way to, to share stories. And there's a lot of those hometown heroes, storytellers and things. And I love that, but I, I felt like I'm going to have to remove myself completely from this and, and find my own path. And, and I'm still trying to find it. Uh, I'm still trying to find the best way to make the stories and tell the stories. And um, I think for some people, you know, some of those outlets um, are exactly the place where people find themselves right now, where they can begin pulsing, sending out those little pulses of hope um, in a different story. And it, it becomes a point in which in a newsroom, the stories are seen as data that goes into this algorithm that somehow is going to connect with the right people. It's just cut and paste. Let's put this out. And true great stories um, require a change in culture. It's not about um, a game. It's not about, okay, this is going to fit. Instead, it's, it is a, a living, breathing human hope <laughs> and it, it 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 defies algorithms it defies all of the statistics on what what would work and what wouldn't and and it requires you not to see it as this is a game that we're playing but a culture we're creating and and that that's where you know these these stories are like wild animals they can't fit into a, a segment on tv or or on on just normal programming it, it goes outside those uh, yeah, I, I love that. I'd love to to break down story with you a little more as we go, just because I think it's um, a recipe right now uh, for our world, which feels a little discombobulated out of sorts. Well, a little, probably a lot, um, it, just in terms of uh, where we are in the world right now. But uh, I don't know that we, even predating the global health crisis that we're in and some of the other challenges that we're facing, I just don't know that we have have told a good story uh, uh, collectively. And I think it, it, in a way, it's left this uh, next generation um, a tall order to kind of pick up the pieces of what feels a little fragmented and try to weave it into a narrative that would be supportive and hopeful. Uh, and it, you know, in some ways, it, it feels like they're up for the task. I mean, what I'm seeing uh, with this this group coming behind us is that they, they seem to be change forward and excited uh, and hopeful about some of what they feel they can advocate for to make the world better, maybe even more so than the gener in my generation and the generation uh, before me. And I'm just curious uh, through your lens, because we see uh, a lot of great storytellers that uh, come through and experience some of our programming. Uh, and uh, sometimes they come in when they're feeling kind of stuck 
and having experienced some adverse life circumstances. And other times people come in just because they know that um, unlocking themselves mentally and doing a little bit of a digital cleanse and other things that people experience when they come to, to onsite our offering, that they'll walk out more creative. And why, why, I'm just curious from, from your seat, because you're a, you're a master storyteller and have done it in a lot of neat ways, but why do you think some of the greatest stories are born out of pain? Yeah. I mean, all, all stories have that weaved into the journey, whether the hero wants it or not. That's that dark thread that, 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 that finds its way in. And I, I've actually been working on some television projects and had a, a mentor come alongside to sort of help me crack these bigger stories that I've been wanting to tell. And he was explaining that all stories from fairy tales to films, that, that there's a, a little pattern that you see and, and it, it essentially goes, there's an enchantment, there's disenchantment, and then somehow it finds their way on the other side to re-enchantment. And it's something new. It's something that, that is different than before. And, and that was a new way of, you know, I've seen story circles and seen all that. But for me, that simple thing, I started to see it in my own life that there were, okay, I have the way I see things and then it gets disenchanted. Something happens and breaks it. Something in that vision is shattered it becomes cloudy and I do away with that. Then on the other side of it, there's um, a certain strength that emerges and there's a new re-enchantment. And in my personal life, like right now, I'm definitely seeing the beginnings of a re-enchantment with even basic communication uh, because I so desperately love to be with people. Like I want to be in the room with you right now. <laughs> and and to have that divide where we're been unable to connect in that way, um, I'm now seeing every conversation, the how sacred it, it can be. And I feel that on the other side of this, I will have be holding on to a re-enchantment of every conversation um, in which I will hold it dear. I will carefully pick my words and cheerfully engage and listen with the words other people say. Um, and, and I think, too, with uh, everything in the world, there's this way we can invite each other into seeing that there's something bigger and more beautiful that that's happening that we're part of even among the hurts even in all the things that are still healing if we see it as this story that we are part of together the the hurts become um transformed and in, into a, a healing into a joy and into something that's really strong mm. it's felt like um for me personally, it's just been such an overwhelming season. One of the pieces of art that you created this year was about too muchery. Um, and that idea of like everything just kind of feels like it's more than we can handle. And um, I think at the end of that piece, you kind of remind us like we can handle it together, you know, like that it is this sort of longing for a collective rising up and overcoming. Um, I also loved the thing that you did on the dumpster fire because I feel like that's such a visual image of what it feels like to be in the world right now and even to talk about sort of like the compelling nature of sort of adding to the fire 
and that, that it can be this sort of flashy show for a while, but that really the cultivating good. Yeah, there was something I was seeing that I was, I was, I think we all were doing, and then I was falling into it of just dismissing everything as a dumpster fire, like, ah, oh, it's a yeah. dumpster fire, and, and just, and there's, there's something funny and about being so honest about how hard things are. And then there, there comes a, a choice that, that you can decide to keep feeding that fire, or maybe there's a, a, a more, a path that has more life in it. Maybe there's something else that I can put this energy into. And so to have a dumpster fire somehow right next to a garden, and that image was so helpful for me to sort of check myself every day, like, am I adding to a dumpster fire or am I cultivating a garden? And there's something so quick about a fire and so bright, but uh, that to have the patience and, and just uh, yeah. submitting to, to the process. Of, of a garden. Uh, I grew up on a farm. So like, I know what that process is like and how you, you just have to surrender to the weather and to the elements, but you just keep showing up and, and then there's a harvest. Yeah. And I love it too. Cause it is a reminder of like what we have control over, you know, like it sort of echoes a lot of the work that we do of like this, we get to choose what we invest our time and our energy towards and that, if we want the world to be a good place, we can contribute to that. I think for me, it was just that nudge forward of like, oh, like I don't, I can make better choices myself about what I'm bringing into the world and what I want the world to be. And I can shape, and even if it's only my little garden, I can shape that. And that's one of the, the earliest, most important lessons that I think every adult in a child's life wants to, to show them that, that they contribute to to life. Like you are contributing to this house. You are contributing to the world. And 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 it's one of those earliest lessons that I think we forget how how much we all contribute to the big story together. And and those reminders are so needed for for all of us as we grow. That you you're con you you can contribute to this. You don't just have to give up and just watch it happen. Hmm. Yeah. Say more about that. I'm curious about, um, because you, you know, you're as a parent and then also just through your work, you've, uh, imprinted a lot of, I'm sure kids along the way. Uh, and I'm, like I said before, uh, I do think that there is a fire among this next generation to do some great things in the world. And I do think that there's a responsibility for those of us that, uh, are, in, in the adult seat or grown-up seat to not unconsciously um, feed any lock capacity around this next generation and to, in a sense, be supportive, uh, get out of their way, uh, nurture, pour into, be able to uh, help activate these voices. Um, how have you seen as an adult, maybe as a parent, what's the best way for those of us out there to, to pour into, to inspire kids what's an important message that that you constantly see either that's missing um that can trip them up later in life um or one that you would say this is my go-to this is what i want everybody to know yeah yeah well like so so i spent time interviewing third fourth and fifth graders in all 50 states so i visited classrooms um that were epic that looked like hogwarts to um homeschools to schools that were you know had no funds um 
And in all those different learning environments, I got a glimpse at, at you know, what, what daily life looks like, what learning, what play looks like. And I asked him questions about, you know, what, what are your biggest fears? What's the funniest thing in the world to you? What are, what, um, are your dreams and how can I be a better grown up? And, and they would tell me about the grownups in their lives. And I actually got to see a lot of different adults in the different ways that they show up. And there was no one way like they all, some showed up and they're more outgoing and gregarious and bright. And some were very quiet and soft-spoken, but there was this thread throughout all of those really healthy relationships is that there is an understanding that, that the best learning and growing happens in relationship. And they were alongside them learning. And, and the teachers were vulnerable as well. The parents were vulnerable with them as well about all of the ways that the things they don't know and that they were going to be on the journey together. And so I, I think one really important thing for me, a big takeaway was to understand that with me as a dad, as, as someone who wants to to help the next generation, that, that one of the best ways to do it is for us to walk alongside them. And, and to do it together. And, and then one of the best stories that I like to share with kids and former kids, well, there was an astronaut who was, uh, uh, tell, I, was, I had this chance to talk to him and he's, I'm asking him all about you know, aliens and what's the earth look like from space. And then I, I asked him about the future and, and how, how bad is, do you think it's gonna get? How bad do things look for us? Because he's been, he's been to space, surely. He could tell me about, you know, what happens next and is it going to be like a Mad Max future? Is it going to be like Wally, where we're all just fat babies and we have to leave the planet? And he told me this story that if there was an asteroid headed to our planet and it was going to destroy everything, we wouldn't need to blow it up. We wouldn't have to do anything big and spectacular, but instead they would just spend a, send a small unmanned aircraft and just with the force of a feather, just give it a tiny nudge and it would change the, the course of that asteroid's path. It would, you know, essentially saving every living being on Earth with just a little nudge. And he said that that's the story he wants people to know because they don't necessarily realize that they play a part in the future in a brighter future and that it's not these big spectacular things we do, but these little nudges, these tiny little nudges. And so as much as I would love to do something huge for my kids, like throw parades or do something for the next generation that just is so massively uh, epic ground shaking um, really it's bending down and tying my daughter's shoe every day. It's these tiny nudges, these little bitty things that we do. And so when I am in a classroom, I want to give every kid a feather <laughs> and remind them this is your thing. This is it. You don't have to be spectacular. You already are making a difference in the world. Now, what little nudge do you want to do? It's those little bitty nudges. So it takes a lot of pressure off, right? <laughs> wow. Come on. I love that. Um, and... I like what you said about join them and walk alongside them because in in a way that is what I've learned in in my profession the last couple of decades is that can be the most the 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 hardest 
but the most sacred and effective path towards supporting people to build intrinsic value, to remind them they have what they need uh, to to change and heal. Um, and it is not your most sophisticated clinical tool in the bag, according to the textbooks. It is the most human thing you can do, which is, can I bookmark what I know and take the pressure off being smart enough to do something to you and uh, show up with humanity and join yours and walk alongside you and empower you to um, living into your truth, you know, to, to, to live a centered life. And uh, it's good to hear that you're hearing the same thing from kids. Uh, and oh, it's amazing too, that often part of the process that we run into in the, in the change profession is that it's often re-anchoring people, reminding people uh, of the value that they had uh, before the world told them what they needed to be or put that pressure on them of what they had to accomplish. So I just love that metaphor of joining and walking alongside at an early age. And you talk about as a parent taking the pressure, it's, it's a reminder to me in this moment, because it's, it can be so easy uh, to microscope uh, the areas that I'm seeing that I could be doing better and or question based on micro expressions and behavioral challenges from my little toddlers to say, what am I missing? Golly, I just, what am I doing? And, but every day I show up and tie my daughter's shoes and I put my son to bed and I read him a story and that's a win. That's a big, maybe the biggest win, but I hadn't thought about it until you eloquently told that story and put it through that frame. So anyway, that was touching to me and I thank you. I think just the reminder for me that I'm enough, you know, and that whatever I can accomplish today and get through is all I can do. It's just such permission that I think we all need, you know, that just the reminder that we we're here, we're showing up, we're doing what we can do, but we don't have to solve all the world's problems or blow up the asteroid. I can shake a feather. <laughs> yes. I, I can do that. So... I would love to hear about like your childhood experience. Were you just sort of in touch with your creativity as a kid? And did you? No, I was painfully awkward. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Unsure what to do with all these ideas and all the creativity and just wanted to hug everybody. But you're like, but not sure how I'm too shy to talk to people. So like it would well up inside me, you know, um, the, the kid who would stare outside the window and just dream. And then his mom's like, are you, you okay? (laughs) um, uh, I grew up in the country on a farm. Um, so there's a lot of space to just run and, and be, but also a lot of responsibility to, to work. You know, like I worked with pigs and, um, worked with dogs. And so, so it was, this freedom, but also this, this responsibility of, of us, you know, working the farm together and, and being a family. And, um, I, I think there's a certain thing that, um, happens is, is you feel this, the weight of responsibilities and a certain idea of what it means to be a man and to be all of these things. And you carry that and, and 
and then you, for me, I, I had to find a way to um, care for that that young child and and let this inner child of my own know that it's okay to feel the things I feel, to express things the way I express, to be a different form of, of masculinity than, than you normally see in a farm. Um, and and uh, this idea of being who I needed when I was younger uh, has informed a lot of, of what I do and, and create and, and um, what I, what I want to be. Um, so for a lot of people, when they hear that phrase, be who you needed when you're younger, it brings up a lot of, of feelings. Some might be, yeah. I didn't have something. Uh, some might be, oh, I did have this and I want to be a part of that for someone else. And, and it, it opens up a whole lot of, of deep-seated purpose that, that you want to uh, live out for, for others. And so, so it, it's been um, a well that we go back to near weekly as far as checking back in and is this something that, that would have served me as a child? And how can I show up for somebody uh, wherever they are right now? Mm. One of my favorite projects that you've done, and I'm sure you could ask about this everywhere because you're known for it all over the place, but I can't help but bring it up because I think it's a timeless effort. Um, and I've always been curious with you. I don't know that I've ever asked you in our, just in our, our hangs, uh, but, you know, kid president. Um, which is uh, something you've got to be really proud of uh, for putting out into the world and the impact that it had and how it just kind of exploded when it did. But why do you think the world uh, was ready for that message? Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating, and, and I've learned this with other projects, is it's one of those things nobody asked for. <laughs> like, if I had gone around to, to try and pitch the project like a kid president there's this little president he's at an old record player i found on the side of the road and he's pretending it's his desk and he dances um nobody would have, have said yes like um i it was one of those things i just had to do uh, and did on my own and then the more that i poured love into it the more love it found and and it it became this runaway train of a thing and people were like, Oh yeah, we do want that. Um, and I've had to learn that again with, with other projects as far as, you know, well, I've been pitching, whether it's a book or television or, or other projects, you'll go and they'll be like so nice and all this, but they're just kind of like, Oh, I don't really know what that is. Um, we don't want to see that yet. Uh, so I just have to go and make it on my own. And then, then they get, they see the proof of concept, but I think seeing a, um, uh, at the core of, the, of that series, it was just about two to three minutes every single week of, of a young voice and people would pause and listen to a kid. And at first, I, I just wanted them to be funny and joyful. And then when I saw the way people were using the videos, it was unlike anything else I had ever made. Instead of like it being content they watched and enjoyed, it was something they watched, enjoyed, and then shared with a friend as if in the same way you'd share a greeting card or you'd send something to someone and say, I hope you have a better day, watch this, or I've been thinking of you. And so they became a way to articulate things that other people couldn't necessarily find the words for or hadn't found the words for. So it was uh, every single one was about putting a 
youthful voice behind something big and complex about being a person. And, um, and so I think for many, they just would watch and think it's, oh, this is just a cute kid or it's just a funny thing. And the idea was to sideswipe them somehow in the middle of, oh, you're a person and you're breathing and it matters. <laughs> oh, you already are what you most long to be deeply loved and like all of that woven into it um i, I think uh, helped it find people um but at the end of the day it was just super joyful and and that's contagious mm. having been in my profession for for a while i've I don't think we tell a good story about our profession. I've tried to color outside the lines with Onsite's offering, um, you know, as I've had this honor to be able to steward that resource, but you know, keep us grounded in what we do, but also say, hey, we were trying to create a different offering here and tell a little bit different story so that, you know, it's, it's not this, you have to be broken and be fixed in order to benefit from counseling or therapy or mental health. Yeah, one of the greatest gifts my counselor gave me early on, as I had not been to any counseling until I was uh, an adult and uh, become a dad, and she gave me a copy of The Velveteen Rabbit <laughs> and mm -hmm. a book that I had loved, and it was this understanding that she had of exactly how to communicate directly to my heart and um reading that just rereading that broke me it, it broke me in the best way and i think she gave me a story and it helped unlock a world of stories for me um and, and still is hmm. yeah well said that's something we, we still use velveteen rabbit as a story in some of our programmings it's, it's just so powerful. We're in a very challenging time. There's so much stress out in the world right now. And I want people to be better equipped to meet people and to join them and to empathize with them and to care for them. And, you know, what would you say if I were like, you know, how would we, how do we tell a better story? Yeah. I, um, there's a musician I've always loved. Uh, he, Jonathan Richmond, he did like punk music years ago and then has been doing solo stuff. And, and I, I, uh, met him and was asking him when I, I was in college and I was like, what, how can I be a great artist? What do I do? And, um, he's a super, uh, aloof musician. And, and he just went, just say something true, man. And I was so mad because I thought, I thought, I wanted great advice from you. You're this artist I love. And, um, and then I've found that that's actually, at the heart of, of all great art, um, it's, it's there's something true. There's something so true. And um, when you think about the things that have resonated most with you, uh, there is such, a, a, such deep truth in it. At the heart of it is saying something true and, and true to who is saying the story. And so it would be dishonest of me to tell a story and not do it in a slightly off weird way um and also not include my heart on it and and kids when you have to tell a story in front of children it definitely affects uh how you make it uh engaging and honest um, because they'll know if you're not telling the truth um, uh, there was one time i was in a classroom and a kid asked why i always wore a hat and I made up some ridiculous story about how, you know, 
oh, it was a gift to me from some pirates and I got, and he was like, no, really, why, <laughs> why do you wear a hat? <laughs> and I thought, well, let me tell you. And I said, well, I actually have a scar on my head. And um, I had surgery when I was a newborn and it goes all the way from back here, back here. And I've always been self-conscious about that. And I've never told anybody. And I told them the story about the scar. And I said, yeah, it's not like Harry Potter's scar where it's right here and it's, you know, some epic act of love that caused it. It's just this scar here. And every day when I wash my hair, I feel it. And I remember, wow, it's really a miracle that I'm alive. <laughs> and, and I think... That's such a better story than this, this pointless one I told him about pirates. Instead, I was very open and honest about my insecurities. Mm. And then every kid in the classroom began wanting to show me their scars. <laughs> like, I did this, I fell off my bike, or, oh, I had surgery here. And wow. that's, that's what um, an honest story does, is it invites everybody else to, to share theirs, too. I love that. I... Um one of the things that feels really true to me about the Velveteen Rabbit that you mentioned earlier and that story is the idea that there's there's somewhat of a cost to being the rabbit, you know, to being, and I think uh, for you of being such a voice of the goodness and the hope in the world, that there's got to be a cost to your tender heart sort of existing. And, and I wonder, uh, how do you just, take care of yourself in the day to day and continue to sort of stay grounded and centered. And, um, yeah, it, it, uh, I think that I'm at a point now where I, I can handle all the incoming transmissions far better than I could early on. Like when we first began creating things online and it found an audience, I didn't understand how much it would affect me to hear from so many different types of people. A lot of times it would be really thoughtful responses about, you know, here's what's going on in our lives or they would share how they're hurting. And I would take that in and, and hold it. There were also other messages where people had opinions about the things and I would take that personally and, and all of that stuff. And there was this part where I don't want to create, I don't want to build such thick skin that I don't feel the things because that's what I do. I, I, I want to feel, I can't, I don't want to numb all of that. I don't want to not hear when other people are hurting or, or feel my own pain. And so I've had to, to learn to navigate it with um, a lot more grace for myself and patience with how I, I operate. So a, a key thing for me has been to make sure that the things I'm making and doing and the everything, the way I show up at home and the way I show up at work, that I'm operating from a place of love and not operating for love. <laughs> and yeah. I had to understand that I was wanting all of those transmissions to give me love people to say, Oh, we love you. We love you. We love you. And instead be in such a, a healthy grounded place that I can respond to any transmission that comes my way, challenging or whatever it may be from a place of love. Uh, and to do that, I, I need deep, meaningful relationships with people around me. And that's what I've heard you talking a lot about too, is it's, it's not that you just want to put things out on social media 
that would spread this good in the world that you're living it out day in and day out and all the little things. And um, I think watching so many people just do it for appearance sake, that it, for me, it's like a soul balm to like see somebody that actually cares about it from their core and it's coming from such a congruent place. I'm just grateful. You're so nice. Thank you. Thank you. That's the the deep hope is that you know you gotta live the song, the life you sing about in your songs, like that old uh, old saying. And I want that. I I feel like the every. I know you all do this in your work. It's almost as if everything we do and share are really just reminders for ourselves to to remember to to hold on to to to. This is what we're about. This is our stake in the ground. This is what I believe in. This is what matters. So it's all little reminders of this is what I, what I, I don't necessarily live up to this, but I sure want to. Mm. And I'd love to, before we, we land the plane here, I'd just love to hear briefly about your latest book. I know you've referenced it. I've, I made a reference to it in the beginning. It's awesome. And, um, you know, maybe you could just summarize by answering the, the question or answering a question about the title, you know, what does it mean to be a better grown up? What did you learn? And then uh, what, and then also just a, as a caveat to that, I want to answer that first, but I, what, what was it like to try to put a book out in a season like, <laughs> like last? Yeah. I mean, uh, so I really, really, really like my heart of hearts is to write children's books, write picture books. And I've been writing uh, so many. And then I realized before I release all of those, I need to, to go on a journey, spend time with kids and, and release something that goes out to the adults in their lives. And, and that book, I was so excited to go out and spend time with people on a book tour and do events. And, and it came out the week that our town went in lockdown. And, um, and I was, I was, so sad because I, I had spent so long away from people, which was un- abnormal to just write the thing. And I was eager like a dog to go out on a walk to just go do this book tour. And so that was super challenging. But then what was has been a beautiful piece of it is that that books find their people. And and there's a certain um, magic that I've been finding in in how people discover it, whether it's because they like the color yellow and the spine was yellow and it spoke to them or, or uh, it's a, you know, children's hospitals have been buying them for all their employees and families have been giving them. And so the, the journeys that these, these books find themselves is, is really special. But the best thing has been that in this time of so many people working from home and, and being in close proximity with the children in their lives, They've said that they would be reading the book and then it would make them just they just say, I have to put it down and go play with my kid. <laughs> like it made them want to just stop reading and go be with the kids in their lives. And so that to me seems like a, a, a big win. And and the thing that that's the thing that I learned about what it is to be a better grown up and to raise even better grown ups than we are. It's to just show up and show up as we are, as who we are. And to do it on a, on a consistent, loving basis in small but vastly meaningful ways, just showing up. Wow. So we kind of close out with just one daily practice that you do to stay centered or grounded. 
so I keep little uh, reminder notes all over the place for myself. Um, you know that movie Memento where the guy has short-term memory loss and just has to tattoo his body? Um, I, I'm almost to that degree as far as reminding myself what it is that I'm doing here every day. And so I have notebooks all over the place and, and, and notes. But I think one of the practices that I've done my whole life and have only done on a um, really intentional purpose and, uh, every single day in recent years is um, touching that scar on my head and being reminded of a, a swelling of gratitude for the fact that I'm here and there must be a reason for it. And so that's the story I, I have to begin with every day is one of gratitude that I, I'm here. Now what? I love that. Well, we're grateful that you're here too. So thank you for everything you're doing and putting into the world and who you are. Thank you. I can't wait till we can share big, ridiculous meals together, ride horses, miles, like go oh, come on. live the dream together. I, I miss you. Yeah. Miss you too, buddy. Hey friends. As we wrap up this amazing conversation, I wanted to remind you about our newest emotional wellness masterclass, Unlearning Shame, pushing back against the lies that keep us hidden and alone. This class provides helpful steps to stop shame in its tracks and keep it from running the show in our lives. It's a super practical and accessible digital resource that we know will serve you now and long into the future. Now, until the end of the month, we're giving you half off of this $69 class when you use the code PODCAST. That makes it just $35. Head on over to onsiteworkshops.com slash shame to sign up. Thanks for listening. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If Onsite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.